quick reminder before we start the show that the third and final Kentucky Downs contest is this Sunday, $800 buy-in based on 150 entries, and they've been getting a lot more than that. Prizes would include two BCBC seats, three NHC seats, and cash to the top 10. And remember, the cumulative winner, if you play in all three, gets a BCBC seat and the coveted championship belt. few shout-outs to folks who've done well so far. The Thursday, September 1st winner, Stephen Schaefer. Scott Carson did really well in there. Our buddy, um, he'll be going back to the NHC. Scott Fiedler, Jeff Busan. those were the top winners who got uh, seats and cash. Then in the Monday contest, Phil Matzat was the overall winner. Nick Fazilari, Aaron Doty McQuaid, Jeff Busan again uh, was in there. So uh, you got to figure he is looking pretty good to wear that championship belt, but lots of people right behind him and um, all to play for as it were with this contest on Sunday to uh, get involved. You can go to in the money slash King turf. Welcome to the In the Money Players Podcast. This is our show for the Kentucky Downs races of Thursday, September 8th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, about to hop on a plane, actually, and fly to Nashville, making my maiden voyage to Kentucky Downs for this Thursday card. We'll be doing Horse Player Happy Hour live from there, but also excited to be doing this show. We're covering every one of the seven days, whether it's in a segment on our late week show for the Saturdays or custom shows for the rest of the days. Really happy to be diving a bit deeper into the Kentucky Downs meet, which just seems to be getting more interesting and important every year, Um, not in the least bit because of the purses and how they're enhanced by our friends at the uh, Kentucky uh, Thoroughbred Development Fund. And uh, yeah, happy to be doing this show under their auspices, also the auspices of our friends, the betmakers who are controlling the international rights for Kentucky Downs, as well as helping put the morning line together. Can't think of many more challenging places to put a morning line together than Kentucky Downs. They've been doing a good job of it so far, as good of a job as could be expected anyway. You want more Kentucky Downs coverage, we also have coverage over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And today's guest is somebody who's been influential behind the scenes in that site, also with our InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus service. He is horse player Tyler Wisman. Tyler, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Good morning. So this is a track I know you pay a lot of special attention to. How long has that been the case? How long has Kentucky Downs been sort of on your radar as a horse player? It's been on my on my radar and aware of it, obviously, for quite some time. But definitely the past two to three years have, um, as many horse players have, have taken more notice. Uh, the field sizes are, uh, you know, second to none. Uh, the payouts are, are well documented. Uh, it's a very challenging uh, handicapping exercise and wagering exercise, but it's one that I enjoy and many others do as well. High risk, high reward in that sense, if, if, if you follow, and then made it more player friendly by good takeouts and the penny breakage as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you if you want to run through a, a quick synopsis of the meet thus far, right, so a little less than halfway through the, the seven day meet. And I think that there were plenty of previews on the in the money airwaves. And so far, it seems as though some of those predictions have, have been, you know, very true. So I think everyone's familiar with the su- success that Mike Maker has had 
um, previous years as well as this year. So he's six for 24, um, 288 ROI, no surprise, but also kind of has three places and, and four shows in there as well. So basically all of his horses. And when you, when you take that six for 24 record, it's worth noting that many races, he often has more than one, right? So um, the, the win percentage can only be so high when that is the case, obviously. Um, but second, tied for second with three wins are Safi Joseph and Wesley Ward, both with 11 starters. Um, Safi, basically every horse he runs seems live. Um, despite that, still has a 373 ROI. And then the, the Wesley Ward uh, barn has the highest ROI of those trained so far so 381 the thing with ward is that his horses seem to have win so three wins out of 11 starters in one show and so to me that's a a bit of a uh, something to consider with his horses is that they're likely to either win or perhaps finish nowhere um and definitely on uh monday i guess it was or I'm starting to get my days a little bit mixed up with the uh, shortened card on Saturday, rescheduling of Sunday. But there were a couple of well-backed Wesley Ward horses that just didn't didn't fire at all, um, and, and I believe that was on Monday. And going to the jockey standings, I think you know many cases people are, are giving a lot of credit to Tyler um, Gaffleone, and, and that's very due. So 27 mounts, five wins, four seconds, and, and two thirds. Um, but I think there are a couple of other guys that need to be mentioned in that conversation as well. So Corrales has four wins from 14 mounts. So right there um, in about half as many amounts, uh, Julian Leperu having a good meet so far with four wins. Uh, another rider that I think has been more or less second call for Mike Maker is Ricardo Santana, right? So 16 mounts, two wins, four seconds and a third. Um Jumping back to trainers really quickly, I think that another thing to keep in mind is that Brad Cox has been relatively cold thus far. So 10 starters, one win, one second, one third. Um, Brendan Walsh and Joe Sharp are winless. Um, They will come up on in this conversation later. I can assure you of that. And Steve Asmussen is uh, one win from 14 starters. So we can talk a little bit about how the the post positions and and feeder tracks have been as well. But I'll see if you have any comments there. Yeah, I'm 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 really interested in what you think the effect will be now that Saratoga is closed. They've been running against each other. So now you've got different riders, maybe some different trainers sending horses down. Do you have any guesses based on historical data or just I know you follow racing on a day-to-day basis as well, how some of those hot and cold connections might be changing as the meet evolves? Absolutely. That's a great point. And, and a, a rider like Ricardo Santana, who I don't think myself nor many others think of as a as, as a really strong turf rider, I think that he'll be one that I pay attention to, right? So when you get Rosario, the Ortiz brothers coming in, does that mean that some of the mounts that he's had success on in the, the first couple of days of racing, that those get pushed to the other guys and, and maybe he struggles the second half of the meet? I don't expect a drop off for Tyler G as well as Cor- Corrales. Um, and, and that's primarily just for the barns that they ride. And I think that they will continue to get those mounts through the meet. Uh, I do think, you know, perhaps on the card that we're discussing, when you have, you know, Irad, Jose, John Velasquez, as, as well as a couple of others that are coming in and making their 2022 debut, it's not like they forget to ride from year to year, but might be, um, you know, early in the card might be a place to stand against them if they're taking a lot of money um, on horses that don't otherwise look live. So I guess that's my comment there. No, it makes sense. And and I think folks, some folks might be surprised who hear these shows all the time about us put, putting this much of an emphasis on jockeys. But this was something that came up in the um, the meet preview that we did that I know uh, Tyler and I believe to be the case, that it's such a unique 
configuration that a rider who's in tune with how the course is playing. And this can change throughout the course of a meet too, depending on weather or rail configuration or other things, but just really trying to be on top of who's in tune with what's going on out there on the course can be an advantage at Kentucky Downs more so than an average racetrack. Obviously it's never going to supersede the horse playing fundamentals of pace and class and, and, and speed and form, but it's something that we do pay more attention to. Is that about right, Tyler? Am I describing that correctly? It's not like you're going to throw in a horse ever just because of who's riding, but when you're dealing with a tight competitive band of horses and you're all, you know, you may be projecting five horses in a race to run between an 80 and an 83 buyer, 84 buyer, the jockey can make the difference in terms of the one you might want to press or include. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as some of the the contributors have said in previous podcasts, I think this is the one place where being a little bit spready in some cases where you may not have a strong opinion and perhaps just on the basis of, hey, a jockey's riding for a barn that perhaps they otherwise wouldn't is their signal there. They move up horses. I am willing to do that in this case, you know, again, assuming that I have opinions and other other legs of the multi-race sequences. Knowing it's a small sample and knowing things can change on a dime, I am very curious to see what you've come up with in terms of the other data you've been looking at. You mentioned post position as one. Exactly. And I think that it was well documented in some of the preview shows that you basically, or at least I do, think about these races as there are the mile one turn races and then there are the the configurations that they run that have the two turns there. And I think that it's pretty telling when you look at the post position that basically you want to be in post we'll just say roughly six or outward in the one mile or less races. So a lot of double digit posts. So, um, you know, just running through 10, seven, six, 10, seven, six, 10, nine, seven. Right. Amazing. So you, you kind of get the, the gist there. Um, it is interesting that post six and seven have won about a third of the total races at a mile or less. And then looking at the tracks where those runners have come from, it's, you know, Ellis Park leads with five at, at a mile or less, um, Churchill Downs with four, Saratoga with three, and then first time starters with three as well. And then when you look at the races that are over a mile, um, some inside posts have done just fine. And so I, I think that, you know, really there's perhaps less disadvantage in terms of post position when you talk about the mile and five sixteenth or mile and a half configuration. Um, and, you know, Ellis Park doing well there, but Saratoga um, tied with Ellis Park with two previous um, runners coming from, from that, that circuits as well. Have you noticed anything in terms of having recent races versus layoffs? It seems to me, anecdotally, I haven't taken the deep dive into the data like you have. It seems to me like the, it doesn't, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it, it feels like there are horses that are laid out to run well here off a layoff and there are horses that are laid out to run here with a prep. And I'm not putting too much signal one way or the other in layoffs versus recency. But what, what are you seeing in the numbers? Yeah, I would say that I went into the first weekend with that same mindset of looking for recency. And I would say anecdotally got burned a couple of times where horses out, you know, outran what my expectations were coming off a layoff. So I think going forward at this meet, I'll probably focus less on that. My hypothesis would be layoff horses that have had success at Kentucky Downs or seem particularly for one reason or another likely to adapt well to the circumstances i'd be very forgiving of layoffs and in the abstract i'd still want to see a more a more recent run especially if the run seemed 
preppy, quote unquote, for one reason or another. No data behind that, just a hypothesis that maybe somebody out there like Tyler or or somebody with uh, who does database type work could try to take a look and see if there's any signal in that. That's not, I'm not saying go bet based on that information, but just in my little horse player brain, that's how I'm going to be looking at it as we go to the back half of this Kentucky Downs meet, which starts with Thursday's racing. Oh, I have to put in the shout out that if you're somebody interested in playing Kentucky Downs and you're looking for a low-cost, controlled way of getting action for all day, or at least from race number four through race number 10, check out Horse Players Happy Hour because we're doing an all-Kentucky Downs format, $20 to play as part of our tour, $20,000 added to the pot, and the proceeds for this $20 contest over on horseplayers.com all go to charity. So what a great opportunity to get action all day. Horseplayers.com, the place to go. Horseplayer Happy Hour, the game to look for. And then you can join Matt Bernier and myself on a live stream from 4 to 5 on Thursday. We'll be covering uh, races 6 and 7 live on that broadcast. Also looking ahead to lots of win and you're in Breeders' Cup action at the weekend, including the five Irish races. If you're looking to get a bit of a line on those, we'll cover that on the broadcast as well. But on this show, we're going to pick up with race number six, which kicks off the late pick five. It starts at it starts at 413. So this will be the first race we get to talk about on the show. We've got a field of 10 going postward. These two-year-old fillies in the allowance ranks going six and a half on the turf. Tyler, how do we want to light this candle? So I think one thing that we didn't mention in the sort of update or overview, if you will, is that um, regardless of the distance, I'm looking for horses that have at least a little bit of tactical speed. I don't want a deep closer. Um, I think definitely at the six and a half furlong distance, I'm going to be looking towards the outside. And so I'll start off with my top pick, which is the number nine horse um, button. So I did mention that Joe Sharp is winless at the meet with 10 starters. However, I'm hoping that if he hadn't gotten a win already, that this can be his first one. Obviously also hoping that Irad has figured out the track or knocked a little bit of rust off as well. And so I, I do think that the morning line is likely to come down slightly for this. Um, obviously that's going to have to be the case for most runners with the morning line favorite, the number eight grand Oak having run yesterday at colonial downs, but back to buttons. I, I do think that this is a horse that won first out for uh, rusty Arnold, obviously a barn that's not, all that known for having first-time starters cranked up and, and winning. Um, although when you do look at turf starters, two-year-olds, he does have you know about 11% win first time out. So it's not something that's um, unheard of given his overall win percentage. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm considering the barn change here and thinking that this horse will have the tactical speed. Um, hopefully, Irad is not passive. He'll have caught on that you need to be somewhat forward. And from an outside stalking position, I think that you know this horse has a, a right to, to move forward with a little extra distance as well. Um, also, as an A, I would go to the inside um, with Wesley Ward, the number two horse, Scarpia. So I think that horse has a couple of interesting things going to it, right? So sat along a, a fast pace in the debut race, had a right to tire in that race. There's also pro perhaps more pace here, but um, I'm kind of taking the approach that he actually could for sure be the best of the speed. And Tyler has positioned um, these speed horses quite well throughout the the meet. And the, the final point here is, you know, something that Wesley Ward does frequently is that he th this filly ran against boys in the first race and now gets back to all fillies here. Um, another horse that I think should do fine, um, stretching out a little bit further. So I, I think uh, that would be a, a, an A horse. And then a couple of Bs that I want to use in, in this race, um, or at least one B, is the three uh, Move It Baby. So 
this is uh, Larry Ravelli hasn't had a ton of success here, but he did have on opening day um, a horse that looks an awful lot like this exiting a maiden claiming race that won, um, you know, already a horse that came out of that race to win again. So I do think that this is another one that will be forwardly placed again, Ricardo Santana, perhaps he gets overlooked um, because of some of the other riders coming in. So I want to use that horse as a B and using the ABC mentality. I'm one that often doesn't use uh, C's and I won't give a lot of detail as to why I'm wanting to use these cases. Um, but I want to use as a C, the number one promises of hope, which does have some pedigree that suggests the turf will be just fine. Um, as well as the number 10, um, who, you know, again, a rather cold barn, but another uh, horse with definitely some pedigree um, and one at first asking again for a barn that perhaps not known for that. So that's how I see the the first leg of this pick six. And you mentioned Corrales uh, doing well and riding the 10 there up to something. You make a, an excellent point that I should have said straight away. Seems almost impossible that Grand Oak will run here, having just run on that Virginia Derby card. So you can scratch that one who was going to take a, an awful lot of money in all likelihood. It do- doesn't seem like Grand Motion the type for the uh, the two-day layoff here. Um, and seahorses, for those who are, don't follow the methodology, those would be horses. They would just be on tickets where you're absolutely right your top picks win every other race in the sequence so tyler laid that out pretty well mentioned one of the two that i was going to talk about scarpia just a maiden but just very obvious after dueling with the stable mate but being best of speed last time and just getting past late by a perfect trip winner but i i took a little bit of a flyer uh, with my top pick, and this is a horse that could win, could finish last. But I thought that it was worth mentioning at least the number four, Showgirl Lynn B. This horse has shown the ability to pass horses and is a two-time winner in this field where she's the only one who can say that. And those are both facts also that I think will be ignored um, in, in the in the marketplace, the ability to pass and being a two-time winner. So I think this is a horse that really could be legit, Double-digit odds. Turf is the question mark, but I just thought it was interesting at those potential double figures. So I was going to play around with the four and the two to kick things off in race number six. And with that, we'll pivot to race number seven. We've got two-year-old maiden fillies once again. This time we're going one mile on the turf, and I'll kick this one off. I like the number seven, stay lost in here. Solid figure and the race at Saratoga. That race has produced two next out winners and then I also wanted to mention the number 11, wet paint in this spot. Good-looking workouts, and I noticed the fact that the dam was a two-year-old stakes performer. I liked 7 and 11 in race number 7. How did you see it, Tyler? The exact same way. So uh, back to the number 7, stay lost. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, Joseph O'Brien has come over and struggled at the Saratoga meet. Um, obviously, I, I don't believe has had a, a winner up there yet. Uh, and obviously won't have since the, the meet is now concluded. That said, I, I'm hoping and thinking that the European training tactics, which I'm sure he brings to the U.S., um, should help this horse, right? Like I, based on the course here at Kentucky Downs. So this horse does have some speed. I'm hoping Rosario puts this horse in the race. The deb- debut race does look productive, as you said. Um, and then, you know, going to the number 11 wet paint. So when you look at that July 30th, uh, one of 99 gate work, that to me signals that this horse also has some speed. Um, you know, Florent Giroux has struggled at this meet and quite honestly all summer. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that this horse has a, a ton of, of talent and can overcome um, that as well. The other two that I would want to back up with would be the number two and the number 10. 
Um, the reason for number two, the don't go changing is a half to summer in Saratoga. Um, summer in Saratoga has a win at Kentucky down. So a sibling is that, I mean, perhaps there's some signal there does lack speed draws inside um, exits a key race. And, you know, my, my real hope is that that horse is over bet and one of our other two horses floats up. Um, but I don't want to get beat by that horse as well. So the, the rare case where I believe the morning line favorite is one that I will need to use as a, a backup. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a good case for, for as to why. And I think Kentucky Downs more than most tracks, a place where you can get away with those kind of defensive uses. Plus don't go changing Billy Joel lyric hunch play. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sold on using somewhere on the tickets based on your analysis. And you are right about Joseph O'Brien. I think he was just didn't run a ton of horses, but you know, according to DRF here, lists him as over eight on the year in North America. And obviously too good of a trainer for that uh, trend to continue. Let's talk about race number eight in this spot, the uh, middle leg of this pick five. We've got an allowance race going a mile on the turf and Tyler will keep it with you. So I like the number eight in here. That's my top pick for Rusty Arnold, Wake Surf, uh, 12 to 1 morning line, hoping that we get every bit of that. So drawn outside, also a half to a previous Kentucky Downs winner. I'm hoping that the outside draw with a little bit of tactical speed um, and a better pace dynamic today will hopefully help this horse, um, you know, in, in the long run. So honestly prefer another jockey but uh you know certainly garcia is more than capable if you look at the last race as well um was on a a a bit of a hot pace if you will and then galloped out nicely um ahead one of the of one of the other uh, foes as well well a couple of foes actually that exit that race so um i i do think that wake surf will be an a and then i'm also going to use the the one um, and the 10, the two Mike Maker horses as both as A's. So the number one, I think, it, you know, I wish that there was another work that was on the the paper here um, because I do like actually better than the stable mate. Um, you know, IRAD gets aboard the eight to one price. I'm not sure that we'll get that again, wishing that there was a, another workout from that August 20th. Um, but anyway, this is one of two horses with multiple wins. And to your point in the last race, I do think that that's something to to look at. Um, the 2021 Kentucky Downs race was the lifetime top. Um, so, you know, I don't love the post position, as we mentioned in this one turn race. However, you know, hoping that a trip can be worked out and that this horse doesn't take, a, you know, too much money and definitely would want to use as an A. I would use, um, you know, one horse as a B and that's the five. Um, which I think the horse may like turf. You also get Rosario here as well as a little bit of cast, uh, class relief. And then there's two horses that I want to use um, as C horses. And that is the number two deep state um, who appears to be working with admission office. And that alone kind of gives perhaps some signal that there's more ability than that horse has shown in the past. And then the number nine, um, I, I just want to include that horse as a C just because the trainer had a winner in the 2021 meet at a bomb price and, you know, not much on ability, but this is one where things are get, can get a little bit fluky at this level. Um, and that's one that I, I think I, I would include just at a, a monster price. You mentioned admission office, older stakes performer. So that certainly is interesting to see. And again, I think this is probably more spreading in terms of adding horses onto tickets even at the sea level than you would typically do but the idea being if you can connect at kentucky downs with these big full fields and likely big payoffs you can get paid not a place where you're going to necessarily try to hit a 20 dollar uh cold pick five or whatever a tight pick five that you might do on a big day in new york a little bit of a different wagering approach for you when it comes to kentucky downs absolutely 
I put Mr. Tip, the one runner you talked about, on top, and I think we're going to get the price because we have an ugly-looking last race, and we have listed in uh, in the Timeform PPs as a vet scratch since. So I'm just wor- I'm, I'm hoping, and, and between that and the post, I'm hoping the public really lets this one go off at 6 or 8 to 1. What I'm seeing that I like is very similar to what you described, Tyler. Back on the right surface, I thought you could make excuse for the trips 2 and 3 back, and that course and distance success just leaps off the page. So I went right on top. I wanted to make a little bit of a case for number three, Greatheart in this spot as well. Has some good numbers. And the thing that I really liked about Greatheart was just envisioning the trip, one that maybe looking at pace figures would have the right amount of speed and stamina to get in that forward position, but enough finish to pass some tiring speed, maybe. And then you already made the case very nicely and better than I would have on the eight wake surf. I had listed in my picks as a B. So trying to mostly get away with one, three, and eight. Tyler with the eight, one, and 10 on the A line, the five on the B line, and the two and the nine on the C line. And that'll bring us to race number nine. And we've got more two-year-olds. Two-year-old stakes action with the Global Tote Juvenile Sprint Stakes and a field of eight going postward in this spot. I liked... Uh, race number nine. I think I feel like I said the race number wrong. Race number nine, this is. I like the five Private Creed in this spot. My logic being, I think Private Creed's going to get the best trip stalking and pouncing in a race where it looks to me like several others want the lead. Asmussen has done well the last several years at Kentucky Downs, not as much this year. I think that could turn around, if not before this, with Private Creed. I think Rosario suits the horse well, and uh, that's the one I wanted to to go with. I'm open to using some backups based on what Tyler puts forward, but that's the only one I, I need to nominate as far as my half of the discussion goes. Who do you like in here, Tyler? So the number two horse looks, uh, you know, like a, a cinch on paper, right? Um, however, I think if you dig a little bit deeper, you have a horse that's exiting two wins by impressive margins, nice figs um, for a, a barn that can win anywhere. But, you know, those are five furlong efforts and we're stretching out to six and a half furlongs, you know, which plays perhaps even longer. Um, I don't particularly like this horse. Um, I think, you know, again, giving my top pick our you know, 10 to one, 12 to one range. And a couple of these legs I will use as a B horse. Um, however, my top pick is the outside horse, the number eight, half a chance who I think will enjoy the stretch out and distance here. Um, so I think this Wesley Ward runner, um, you know, likely duels and does has to do the dirty work. Um, but I also think gets first run when that horse stops, which I do expect. Um, so I'm going to make, uh, the eight alone. A, I will use the two as a B and I will use the one, three and five, um, somewhat as B's, but somewhat as C's. And, and what I mean by that is if I'm doing the um, all A's and, and one B section, obviously I will in- include that at that increment. However, if I'm using the two B's and the rest A's, I, I probably will not include the, the one, three, and five. So um, more or less like C's. However, again, given that I have a single A here, I might put a little bit more through the, the one, three, and five on that B line, if, if, if that makes sense. Hopefully I explained that well enough. It, it, I mean, you have to be well-versed in the methodology. If folks don't know what we're talking about, as far as that kind of construction goes, it's something we try to get into on shows from time to time. And it makes me think, Tyler, when 
we do a little bit more of an expanded betting discussion. We'll get you back to talk about to talk about that. We don't want to necessarily go too far down the rabbit hole here. The best place for this info, if you can find it, is to find one of the great old handicapping books that where I first learned about this methodology, Stephen Chris Exotic Betting. And I'll also give a shout out to Barry Meadow, Money Secrets at the Racetrack. But the idea is you want to construct different tickets that reflect your opinions. And at the basic level, dividing the horses into one of the four categories that we've talked about already on the show, A's for main horses, B's for backups, C's for just in case I'm right everywhere else, and X for um, horses that you're just not going to use at all on tickets. That's that's what it comes down to. And then within that methodology, you have a lot of different ways you can, you can parse and prune to try to craft your tickets to reflect your opinion perfectly. And Tyler, in this case, main, I'm, I'm just going to write them down as B's for you, but I take your point. It gets expensive, when, too expensive sometimes when you run too many backups. So you can be more subtle within that framework based on horses that you're willing to really stand alone with and half a chance being that type of horse for you in here. Yeah. I I'm, uh, I'm, I'm interested to, I'm, I just don't trust either of those speeds, the two or the eight. And I, I think private creed is just going to trip out perfectly. And I, I think based on breeding one, that's going to, that's going to like the, the assignment, I'll take another look and grind on this and see about throwing in some other stuff as well. Potentially let's move on though, for now to race number 10, where we've got, Three and up Philly and Mare, maiden special weights going a mile and five sixteenths with 150,000 in the pot. I emphasize the distance because that's uh, where I, I, I'm i going to be putting my top pick from. This was the rare race. I've never had this happen before. I, I handicapped these, these sequence last night before I went to bed and then like, in my dreams, I, I like saw this race. So I've, I've got a, I've got a, a potential and it matched my paper opinion. So I will, <laughs> We'll see. It's. I wish it was something clever for all that preamble. We'll get to my opinion in a minute, but we'll start with Tyler answering the key question as it pertains to this late pick five, as it pertains to horse players happy hour potentially. Tyler, how are we going to get paid? I think we're going to get paid with the the one horse solidarity. Um, I th- I think that this horse. So first off, it, uh, despite being the one part of an entry, um, will break from the five post if I'm correct um, yep. in, in that assumption. And so I, th- I think that that's a, a great post. Um, I do think that Delacour is a trainer that doesn't necessarily win at a high clip at Kentucky Downs, but does have a positive ROI in the past um, five years. I do think that this horse could be much more forward than in its last race. And that's what I'm hoping. I actually am, am wondering and thinking that in a horse, in a race that looks to lack, you know, too much early pace, wondering if Rosario puts this horse on the lead. Um, I do think that this is, is, this horse is poised for a move forward. Um, I think the distance will suit the horse very well. Um, I also think that if you look at the, um, replay of the last race at Colonial Downs, the nine horse just basically stopped in the stretch of this horse. And it doesn't make the short comment line um, in the PPs. And, and I think that this horse, you know, had a ton of momentum. I don't think was ever going to win that race. However, I do think it would have made it much closer um, and obviously would have uh, earned a, a higher fig as well. So that, that would be my top pick, the one horse. And then the number 12 personal best. So a very strong work, you know, you get a jockey upgrade has tons of pedigree um, I am afraid that the horse will be left too much to do, but you know, this is the, the classic ITM phrase, if you will, closing into a, a slow pace. And I just feel like this horse makes a ton of sense. And one that, you know, likely is the, the post-time favorite and perhaps drops down even more from the morning line, but is an absolute, um, use for me as a, as an, a, the two horses that I will use 
SBs are uh, the six who has a little bit of pedigree. You get Irad and the 10 high stick, the other Shug, who also has a right to improve in this race. I'm going to fade the 11 at what I think will be a relatively short price for a number of reasons, primarily the jockey, um, as well as a barn that usually does well here that really hasn't had a whole lot of success in the first one. Um, another horse that I want to use as a B, which is a complete bomb, is the number five, Dioro Forever. So, um, you know, longtime racing fans will recognize this pedigree, um, you know, just an absolute massive pedigree. This is a huge ask at this distance off a long um, layoff, but I really think the price will compensate for that. So, I am going to throw this in um, at a, you know, Correas has seemed to go to Sheminod as almost like the top rider in the the barn. Um, and I think that he gets off the four who has a lower morning line to ride this horse. Um, again, the, the pedigree well noted. I think this horse may take to the turf and is worth a shot at 20 to one. So yeah, you, that's how I see the last race. I like it. You mentioned, yeah, Lemons Forever was a, was a great race mare herself a kentucky oaks winner but then producing runners like uh, forever unbridled you can certainly see why um you're getting excited over the over the pedigree here and i get i get that case and, and i probably should throw that one in the backup your a your two a horses were the two that i wanted i had it in the other order though i put personal best on top i just think this horse is in such solid form third time off the layoff and the distance should really be the friend for personal best. This is a, a runner whose damn war flag won the flower bowl. I think I I was like, I went to bed basically thinking, do I need to be more creative than this pick? And, and basically saw her winning and literally saw her winning in my sleep. You make a fair point about maybe being too far back, but I am hoping that Gaffleone as well as he's been riding this course has her in the absolutely perfect spot. And then I did want to give a shout out to your uh, one runner solidarity as well. Two angles on this one. One, I believe a horse training at a place like fair Hill, more of a European style training center it's just logical, and I know you, what, you, what you said is right. It's not like Delacour has burned things up at Kentucky Downs, but it seems to me the way he trains, his training methods, where he trains, there's just no reason for his horses not to take well to Kentucky Downs. And then the other thing is the dam side pedigree on this one. When you look at, at Busy, well, really looking at the dam specifically, when you look at her, yeah, her best race was a mile and eight, but ran multiple 90s speed figures going – um, going even farther than that. I just think she's going to be really nicely suited. I was going to try to get out. I had it listed as the 12 on the A line and the one on the B line. Um, and, and that's probably how I'll mostly play it. But yeah, Tyler, good stuff from you. Uh, appreciate all your thoughts on this card. I'm really looking forward to breaking my Kentucky Downs maiden and and being there live and, and getting stuck deep into the sequence. I'll probably uh, use a lot of your horses um, in one configuration or other and come back and play more of a press ticket with the ones that, that I've talked about on the show, but it should be a lot of fun. Any, uh, you said you've been to Kentucky downs, but not during the racing. Uh, any chance we'll see you down there this meet? Um, probably not this meet. It's it, it just so difficult with, you know, three little kids running around, you know, full-time <laughs> job and whatnot to, to make it down there. But it's kind of along the way for us to Nashville and, and an easy stop right off the the interstate. So. Good stuff. Well, hopefully, hopefully, if not this meet, we'll get we'll get you down there soon. 
Um, if you're out there at Kentucky Downs, it sounds like it's going to be a big industry day. A lot of a lot of people I'm talking to are going to be there. Uh, maybe the New York break has enabled people like me to who also just don't want the summer to end to make the trip down there. If you see me, say hello. Tyler, we'll thank you one more time. We'll thank our friends at Kentucky Downs, our friends at the Betmakers for sponsoring this show as well. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you for listening and commenting and doing all that fun stuff. The, the expanded Kentucky Downs coverage seems like it's a hit, and we appreciate your support. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos. Just me.